Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to how God's preached word affects every moment of our daily lives. This sermon was preached by Pastor Tim Barone at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Well, grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus who was and is and is to come. Uh, Let's open up to Romans chapter 13 together. And we're kind of uh, continuing in this um, conversation about what does it look like in our lives to live out the gospel in love. So last week we looked at it looks like submitting appropriately to authorities, only uh, rebelling if, it's, uh, if God has told you something and their government is telling you not to do that thing. And now we kind of look again at the idea of love and the law together. And most importantly, we're going to look at the motivations for why we as Christians would keep the law towards our neighbors in love. So our heart motivation. So let's read this together beginning in verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would open up our hearts uh, to hear your word and to be receptive to what you say. I pray, Lord, that I would disappear and that the words that I speak would be simply from your Holy Spirit. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So we see uh, this conversation about love continuing here. And the first thing I want to draw your attention to is that first paragraph where Paul is talking about the law of God and love and how those relate. And I think that this is one of the most important things we as a church need to grasp. And so this may seem repetitive to you, this kind of idea that Pastor John and I have been putting forward to you again and again, but it's because this is one of the most serious attacks on our doctrine and against Christ and our Lord, our Heavenly Father that we are experiencing today. And that is to separate love from the law is to pit love against the law and law against love. This is a serious error, and it's very common in our days. And so this error kind of sounds like this, or it can be described this way, that Jesus came to cancel the law. That Jesus came down to this world to 
uh, destroy what God had said in the Old Testament, his law, his teaching, that Jesus comes and gives us a permission slip to get away from what God said. And so it's kind of like the Jesus credit card idea, right? Jesus died for my sins, and so I can kind of do what I want. Jesus came to save me from judgment from God and from anyone else. And so if I'm uh, in Christ, I can kind of do whatever I want. No one can judge me. And I have a get out of jail free pass, and that's how I'm going to live my life. And so this idea has really worked its way into the culture and even into our churches um, so that we have a hard time with the law. We don't know what to do with it. Because if God came to give us grace and love, how can we give rules to people? Because rules sound mean, right? And rules mean there's a, a black and a white, there's a right and there's a wrong. And so many times, uh, even, even Christians, even people who call themselves Christians will say, well, there's just no judgment now because of Jesus. And now just everything's grace. And we, we can't judge anyone. We can't say that anything's right or anything's wrong. Uh, in fact, all we just have to do is just love people, just love, love, love. But that love has no form and no prescription to it. And so really what's the biggest problem be, behind this is what it does is it pits Jesus against his heavenly father. Do you see that? It says, heavenly father who created all things, created creation, he was kind of mean and judgmental. And so Jesus came to free us from that God and to bring us into a new way that ignores what the heavenly father has said, ignores the 10 commandments, ignores the instructions for living that God has given. And this is a terrible lie. Because Jesus and the Father are one. And Jesus came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it and to uphold it. And so the correct teaching that we need to continually work to understand is this, that Jesus came to give us hearts that love the law. That's what happened. Jesus didn't come to destroy the requirements of the law. He came to destroy the condemnation that rightly falls on all who break the law. He came to take that condemnation upon himself and free us to be children of God that now love the law. Jesus came to send his spirit into your heart so when God's law comes to you and says, you shall not covet, right? You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Instead, live in a good way of love. You say, yeah, that's right. Yeah, my heart wants to do that. Yeah, I'm a child of God who loves what my God says. I'm a brother of Christ. I'm a sister of Christ who understands what it means to be part of the family. And so that's what Paul is putting forward again to us us again here in these first sentences. He says, love has a form, right? Love looks like something. Love looks like doing the Ten Commandments. It looks like not committing adultery because you love your brother, your neighbor, you love his marriage, you're not going to mess it up. It looks like not murdering because you understand the value of human life. And you see the love that God has poured out on this world to save humans. And so I'm not going to murder because I love human life. Where you see not stealing, not covering, all of these things, 
The love that God gives to us has a form. It looks like something. It looks like doing the will of the Creator and becoming in sync with His will. And so in verse 10, he kind of sums this up, that love does no wrong to a neighbor, and therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So the teaching is that God's love and his law are on the same side. They belong in the same category, and we need to keep them together. So we, who are Christians, pursue the law not to save us, because no flesh will be saved through the law, but because we are saved. We now agree with what God has said about creation and seek to please him in all things as we love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus taught this as well in the gospel very strongly. Uh, He says this uh, just at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, which really is an exposition, an explanation of the Ten Commandments. He says this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And here's where he really puts it to us. He says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus is saying, If you say, yeah, well, the gospel means that we don't have to pay attention to the law anymore. We don't have to worry about worshiping God in the third commandment. We don't have to worry about what we're doing with our bodies in the sixth commandment. We don't have to worry about whether or not we're going to forgive and love our neighbor in the ninth and tenth commandment. If you think that's what the gospel is about, Jesus says you are the least in the kingdom of heaven. You got it wrong. But rather, if we understand the goodness of what God has said and we teach, we strive to teach each other this wisdom that you'll be called great. And so there's no doubt that the law is good. It is from our God. It just can't save us. But we need to take this home with us, that love is the fulfilling of the law. These things go together and they cannot be separated. To separate them is heresy. So with that clear, we'll go on to probably the more important section of this text, and that is the heart motivation for our love, for our completing the law and striving to do what is right. Here's what he says. Verse 11, he says, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. I want to encourage you, Uh, to put three numbers in your journal, if you're following along in the journal. He gives us three reasons to wake from sleep and to live in this righteous way. One, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. That's the first. Two, the night is far gone. And three, the day is at hand. Here's the heart motivation for why we're going to pursue what is right in love and doing the law well with our neighbors. Those three motivations. And so let's talk about those uh, for a minute. Uh, First, this idea is this, that the hope of salvation 
transforms our motivation to love. Now look with me again in verse 11. He says, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep and salvation is nearer to us now. Now, most of the time when we say, if I was to ask you, are you, are you saved? Are you saved? Uh, we might be getting at, do you believe in the gospel? Do you believe the testimony of Jesus or are you baptized into his name? Are you saved? And that's a good and fine way to talk about salvation. But one thing I learned recently is that Paul, in general, when he uses the word for salvation, he's not talking about now and believing. He's talking about later. He's talking about the final day when Jesus returns. And so when he says salvation is nearer to us now than it was before, he's saying Jesus is coming soon, right? Jesus is returning to this world sooner than later. We don't know exactly when, but we know we have one less day than we did yesterday. Amen? And this, for the Christians, is a great encouragement. Now, I want to contrast uh, this uh, with another way of thinking. So, first of all, if you remember Jesus' life, towards the end of his life in Holy Week, uh, he is on trial, right? He's going from trial to trial and they're going to crucify Jesus, and he goes from the political entities to the church entities, right? He goes to the leaders of the Jewish people, and they're questioning him about who he is. And when he's before the high priest, the priest asks him this question. He says, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus responds, truthfully, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, at this, they were upset. They tore their robes and they said, we don't need any more testimony. We've heard his blasphemy. Crucify him, right? So they seek to put him to death because he says, you will see me coming in the clouds as the Son of Man, as the judge. And this is a, a quote from Daniel, actually. The book of Daniel brings up this Son of Man character who is this one who judges the world as a righteous and eternal king. And Jesus is saying, that's me, baby. And you'll see me coming back to judge. Now, for them, they look to that final day, and it's not salvation for them, right? They don't believe that Jesus is God, and they don't believe that he died for their sins. And so when they hear this, they're upset, they're angry, they gnash their teeth, and they weep, right? Because they hate the idea that anyone is coming to judge them. And Jesus says, that is me. And this is the way it is for those who are outside of the gospel. Outside of being included in salvation in Christ, judgment day is only doom, right? It's only anger. It's only bad news, but when we're in Christ, it's good news. It's, it's wonderful. It's lovely. It's what our hearts long for. And so I'll show you another um, passage here. If you go back to Romans chapter 1, and actually I have it on the screen for us if you just want to hold on. It's actually Romans chapter 2 verse 5. Paul is talking about how people who are seeking to be justified by their works, how they're hypocrites. Right? They're judging other people, but they're doing the same things and thinking that they are justified by their works. And so here's what he says to them. 
He says, because of your hard heart, hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And so for those who think they're going to save themselves by their works and they're going to judge other people by their works, he says, you're going to be destroyed by God's wrath and you're actually saving up wrath for yourself on that day. Not good news. (laughs) But then contrast that with what happens on the day of the ascension. On the day of, of ascension, Jesus ascends into heaven and it says in the book of Acts that the disciples are staring up into the clouds, right? And they're like, where did he go? And two angels appear with him, appear with them and talk to them. And this is what they say. They say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. And so for them, they're like, that's Jesus. That's our Lord. That's our Savior, the one who died and rose again and still calls us friends. And he's going up into heaven. We want him back. And the word of the angels would have been a great comfort. He will come back for you. And so this is this great difference in the way that those who are saved and those who are not saved look at that great day of the Lord coming back. Outside of the gospel, outside of God's mercy, it's terror. It's horrible. It's anguish. But in the gospel, it's the coming of our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who will complete all the promises he has made to us and bring us from death to everlasting life. That can't be anything but good for us. So this is what's behind the heart. Our heart of why do we love one another? Why do we do good works? Why do we pursue God's law and the wisdom that he has there? It's because Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back sooner today than he was yesterday. That he is imminently coming. And so let's look at the rest of what he says. He says, wake from sleep in verse 11. What that basically means is uh, an allusion to the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus was dead, right? And God raised him up. Lazarus was sleeping, Jesus said, and Jesus raised him up. And it says, you too, it's your turn to be raised up from death to life. Jesus has promised immortal life to your mortal body. He will raise you up for eternity. So the hour now is to wake up and believe that truth and rejoice in it. Look at the rest in verse 12. He uses this analogy of night and day. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So he's saying, look, in the dawning of the resurrection of Jesus, we saw a new world is coming. We saw a totally new kingdom is on its way. And we saw that with proof in the resurrection of Jesus. The night is going away, friends. Evil is being defeated, and the light is dawning. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ means the renewal of all things, that all creation will be restored to what God had in mind in the beginning. And he's saying, you can already see that light breaking through. And so as we see that light breaking through, we're going to do what makes sense to be in that light, 
You know, I was thinking about this uh, just earlier. It's always risky to bring in a last-minute analogy, you know, to a sermon. But have you ever been camping? You know, you're at camping, and there's always, like, the people who get up early, and they're ready to go for camping, right, uh, when, in the morning. And they're, like, going to cook breakfast, and they already got their tent put away, and other people are just sleeping in. Uh, you know which category you're in, you know. But it'd be kind of like this, that when the dawn is coming up, uh, if people are just putting out their sleeping bags, like they're about to go to bed, or they're putting out their tents, or they're stoking up the fire so that they can get through the night with it, it doesn't make sense for what's about to happen. Do you see that? And this is kind of what Paul is getting at. What makes sense in the dawning of the light? What makes sense when we see Jesus risen from the dead and we hear his promise that he will come again? What makes sense in light of that reality? Does it make sense to live in the works of darkness anymore? Does it make sense to make provisions for the flesh, as Paul says? Let's look at the last verse here. Well, he gives us these examples. Verse 13 Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies, drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Because Jesus is coming back and because his words are certain, we're making preparations for his arrival. That's what we're doing as Christians. And we look at the works of darkness, these ones that he names here. We say that doesn't make sense in light of Christ's return. Because on the day that Jesus returns in full glory, no one's going to think, oh yeah, sexual immorality is a good idea. Do you see? No one's going to think, oh yeah, I'm going to just try to steal a little bit more in my life now that Jesus is here in his light. Or I'm going to continue to neglect my prayers and my worship because it doesn't make sense to do those things. Everyone will see the reality of this new kingdom and gladly join in. And so the motivation for our hearts is let's do that now. Let's do that here in our lives and in our families. At the coming of the dawn, we will see the king and we'll live as if he is here today with us now because he is. There's a great hymn called The King Shall Come When Morning Dawns that helps us kind of capture this idea. It says this in the last couple of verses. He says, O brighter than the rising morn when Christ victorious rose and left the lonesome place of death despite the rage of foes. O brighter than that glorious morn shall dawn upon our race the day when Christ in splendor comes and we shall see his face. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is a glimmer of the glory that is to come. And God has plans that are much brighter even than the resurrection of his son when Jesus returns, when everything is conformed to that reality and that kingdom. And so our heart doesn't make provisions for the flesh because that wouldn't make sense to live as if the darkness is going to last. It's not. Instead, our hearts are set to obey the commands of God and to do what is good for our neighbors as we follow the laws that God has given to us in joy. 
And so uh, to end today, I want to offer you just a moment to confess to God. Because we still live in the flesh. And you know what? We still like to make provisions for the flesh. We still like to live as if the light has not come to this world. And so maybe you have been walking in the darkness. Maybe you have been making provisions for the flesh to satisfy its desires. Maybe you've been living in a fantasy world where Jesus didn't rise from the dead and he isn't coming back. And if that's the case, this is a good time to throw off the works of darkness and put on Christ, who is your righteousness, to clothe yourself in him, looking forward to all of his words coming true and rejoicing that you are forgiven by his blood. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we, we beg you to be merciful to us. Help us, Lord, to walk not as those who dwell in darkness, but those who know the light. Cause us all, Lord, to throw off the works of darkness and to cl clothe ourselves in Christ, to pursue love and to pursue the law with all zeal as we wait for Jesus to return. We pray these things in his mighty name. Amen. Thank you.